you know, it was so intense. None of us knew what we were doing. It was hilarious. Hello, you're listening to Life's a Bags podcast, a podcast created to inform, empower and educate all on the experiences of women of colour. I'm your host, Ro. Joining me on this week's episode is someone who has played a pivotal role in shaping one of the UK's most exciting luxury magazines. Having produced magazines with cover girls such as Dina Asher-Smith, Rupi Kaur and Leomi Anderson, this guest knows what it takes to run a successful venture with women for women. Not only that, but she also runs her own crystal, candle and Reiki business as she continues on her spiritual journey as a Reiki master. I'm joined by a good friend and super humble guest, Stephanie Pack, founder of Luna Chi and managing editor of the Arcadia magazine. In this episode, Steph and I discuss imposter syndrome, why mental health is so important in these times, the importance of diversity in the fashion industry, and what more agencies and magazine owners should be doing to improve representation. Steph also shares how she managed to crack the also important code of balancing personal and professional relationships in a work setting provided us with a perfect example of how to work with family. You don't want to miss Steph's tips on how to maintain business relationships and get noticed by brands. Let's get into the episode. Thank you so much for joining us, Steph. Could you please introduce yourself to the podcast? Who is Stephanie Pat? Hi, I am uh, I'm Stephanie. I am the managing editor of Arcadia magazine, a quarterly print publication and online uh, publication based in London. We are luxury, do luxury lifestyle. And I am also the founder and Reiki master for Luna G. First question is all about your first venture or your first business, so to speak. So when was the Arcadia first founded and why? We founded it back in 2013. It was during my last year of uni, actually. And I think it was maybe towards the end of graduation, I did a module in fashion journalism, and I really enjoyed writing. And I was speaking to Monisha, who is the editor of Arcadia magazine, and she's a good friend and also my sister-in-law now. And yeah, I was telling her how much I enjoyed writing and how much I'd like to continue. And she said, me too. She actually studied journalism and she basically was like, me too. I really want to continue. I've bought the domain uh, for this website. Do you want to maybe do it together? And I was like, I I was like, yes, definitely a hundred percent. And she also had a friend who studied styling, Jay, who's our creative director. And I guess they kind of like, they got the ball running. That was kind of how it began. Do you know what made them want to start an actual women's fashion slash lifestyle magazine? I think it really comes down to like not wanting to work for others. (laughs) Okay, that's fair enough. Yeah, um, there's, you know, nobody enjoys office politics. And I really, um, I really didn't when I worked in PR. Um, I've done consumer, I've done corporate communications, and I didn't really enjoy it that much. Like I'm not built to work in a nine to five environment. I I realized that afterwards. I think doing my own thing is so much more rewarding. It's so much harder and there's no security whatsoever. But like, I'm much happier for it. So clearly you didn't enjoy the corporate life. Have you always been entrepreneurial, would you say? Um, That's not how I envisioned my life. I can remember when I was younger, I really thought, 
I think I actually thought I'd like to work in a magazine. I guess like at the time, like I loved shows like Ugly Betty and um, I imagined myself being successful. So like I kind of visualized myself working in an office, but I had no idea what I would be doing, if that makes sense. But just like high flying businesswoman working for someone, I guess. But Well, that's good. Then that means you've always kind of had the idea that you would be a leader or in some form of a leadership role. I guess so. What was it like when you produced the very first edition of the Arcadia magazine? (coughs) What was that experience like? You know, it was so intense. None of us knew what we were doing. It was hilarious. And like the system that we had set up in place, um, it was very, very slow and exhausting, especially for our art director, Atif, who is amazing. But like we must have put so much strain on him. Now we have a really great system of how we work and everyone knows what they're doing and everyone knows their place and what they need to be doing. But back then, no one knew what we were doing. And we were like, you know, it's just hilarious thinking back to it. Like we were working through the night. Now we don't. We don't do that so much anymore. <laughs> we we found you've got more of a schedule. Well, is yeah. that more of your role to kind of look after? What is your role as a managing editor? So I do a lot of writing. I'll maybe like send people on press trips, or I might create content in some way, whether that's um, working with PRs. It's just the same way. But I also do a lot of editing when it comes to the print. Mm-hmm. so I will probably edit all the interviews and um well we do it between us like Mon and I will do all of the editing between us and as long as it's kind of been even though we will always look over each piece every single piece will be looked over by both of us mm-hmm. especially before it goes to print but we also we send it out to um a few people like a few of our writers are really really great and they will um they'll also do a read over but Mon and I will do the bulk of the editing a collective effort really yeah it is a, yeah takes a village well, <laughs> a very very small village because it's really just five of us on the core team oh wow so how did it feel when you first saw the Arcadia magazine in Selfridges what was that like that must have been absolutely surreal yeah because it's like something you worked on is now on sale in Selfridges which is such an iconic destination in London I remember wanting to work at Selfridges I actually have worked at Selfridges. That was as a temp. So I was on the shop floor in Selfridges as well. Mm -hmm. And then there were a few merchandising opportunity for placement year whilst I was studying. I studied fashion merchandise management. And also for me, Selfridges was like the ultimate place to work, to shop, to eat. Like I used to spend a lot of time in Selfridges as a kid because it was my mum's favourite place to go. Like she preferred Selfridges over Harrods, over Liberties, over Harvey Nicks. Selfridges was her go-to and we would like drive into London. Like it was it was really like you felt so glamorous going. So I always have like such a an affinity. Yeah, such a soft spot for Selfridges. And so to see something that I was a part of creating it was surreal it was insane it was it was really special rolling on to a question about personal relationships and professional relationships that like you mentioned earlier that the editor-in-chief Manisha is actually your sister-in-law so was that being said what has it been like managing that personal professional relationship um, and is there any kind of advice you'd give for people that are working on businesses with family or friends Okay, so people always say never mix business with pleasure. They do, they do. But I guess I've been very lucky. Not to 
say we've not had our ups and downs we definitely have but I think we value each other as people as friends Mm -hmm. as close friends in each other's lives first and foremost and that takes precedent over anything else Mm -hmm. so whatever like issues you might have regarding um, your business or for us the magazine like whatever issues we've had regarding that um, we have to put that aside and you just have to remember what's actually important and that's actually the relationship that we have and now we're you know we're family we're closer than ever so yeah you just have to remember what's actually important Mm -hmm. so I think that's maybe why it doesn't always work out if you're gonna go into business with someone you're close with Mm -hmm. you have to make sure that relationship is strong enough because things will come up you're gonna have uncomfortable conversations not every time not always uh some I think some may go through without ever having uncomfortable conversations but I think you have to be at least prepared that it might change the dynamic Mm -hmm. in a way and I think it's important to establish that like whatever happens you will put your personal relationship first Mm -hmm. if that makes sense yeah so just making sure you have that solid relationship built first before you decide to venture into business together I think so I think it I think that's the safest option if you have any like qualms about going into business with someone uh, that's close to you definitely just go into it knowing that whatever happens this is what is actually most important like your friendship Mm -hmm. and your love and respect for one another (laughs) but so far for us we're we've made it work okay so who would you say would be your dream cover girl or could essentially it could be a group as well who would you really love to have on the magazine Hmm. I really like Zendaya she's so beautiful and she is so vocal about what she believes in Mm -hmm. and she's doing so incredibly well I also really like Elaine Welterer so she is actually the author of the book More Than Enough she used to be the editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue Mm -hmm. And she's, I think she's on a couple of like reality shows, like she's on Project One Way, but she's just really cool. I haven't read her book yet, but I really want to read it. I think I've downloaded her, the audiobook, so that's on my to-do list. So what do you like about her? Do you like her vibe or? I think she is a very successful woman of colour. Mm-hmm. I guess I put her in the same kind of league as Eva Chen as well. Mm-hmm. They just have thrived in this industry that, as you know, favour white women okay with that all been said as well how do you collectively decide on what works as a cover what makes a cover girl or a cover guy when it comes to things like diversity you're looking at the makeup of whether someone is male versus female or any other gender identity and then you're looking at things like the representation how you're representing these people that are on the front of your magazines as women of color that are producing a piece of media essentially what goes into that effort or that kind of decision we're the opposite of Alexandra Shulman's Vogue. Take as an example, mm-hmm. obviously so much has changed. Edward yeah. is now editor-in-chief and he's done an incredible job. Mm-hmm. But we champion women of colour at the forefront. Not every time. Um, it do, you know We have to remember that everybody also deserves a voice. But we do try and champion women of colour if we can. Sometimes it just doesn't work out that way. The industry can also be a little bit stingy with who they give us. So we have to take what we can get as well, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. So because when we don't work with these people directly, we work with their managers and their agencies before we get to them, you know? Mm-hmm. So for certain um, women of colour in 
the fashion industry, their agencies can be very stingy with them and say no a lot of the time. And so then, but then they offer us a white woman with a huge following that will also boost our presence that we then can't really turn down. But I think definitely with like the movement, the Black Lives Matter movement and more emphasis on diversity, I think a lot more you know, those models are more open to like asking questions as well. So they might not necessarily want to shoot for a brand that they see is kind of looking for them for those tick boxes, mm. rather more genuine brands and um, brands that they feel that their followers can resonate well with. So I definitely think uh, there is some work to be done in terms of even magazines as well, going back and saying, you know, we'd really love to have that person or even trying to find ways to make certain things happen because the representation definitely can be improved in the magazine industry and Mm -hmm. it will only be improved if there's like that demand for it. Well, that's the problem. So the reason why they're so fully booked is because there's so few of them. Mm. So if there were more, there would be more of a selection to choose from. Mm-hmm. At the moment, it's very limited. Yeah. And that's the problem. A lot of work needs to happen on their end as well of trying to recruit those people. Getting more of that talent into the industry, really. Exactly. However, we do try to then make the issue itself filled with stories and editorials with women of colour so that those pages still bring that to life. Mm. So... What are some strategies or tips that you learned along the way that could essentially help women build the right relationships in terms of networking without feeling fake or out of debt? Deliver. Mm-hmm. So like whatever you promise you're going to do, do it well. And people want to work with you again. Mm. So like making sure that you're building your own reputation, you're building those relationships with those people. Exactly. So that you can come back to them at a later date. Mm-hmm. And just turn up as well. Like I'm not very good at networking, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but also keeping those relationships alive. So for me, if I go on like a press trip, for example, with them, um, maybe like catching up with the PR every so often to just keep that relationship going and not letting it kind of like fall away mm-hmm. if you could take over any magazine or collaborate with any magazine what would it be and why mm, this is really terrible I don't really read magazines so I couldn't tell you mm-hmm. well maybe there's like an Instagram page or a brand like that you really love and you feel like if you could collaborate with them that would work really well that's something you're inspired by really we work with really cool brands already we're so lucky like we work with some of the best luxury powerhouses as it is in in all industries so like uh fashion beauty cars hotels we're in a very privileged position i guess like obviously when it comes to kind of fashion like vogue mm-hmm. it's like the kind of holy grail mm-hmm. especially under edward Ennefall's uh reign have you seen his new cover the activism yeah issue? Yes. Is absolutely amazing he's got it does Rashford on there he's got activists on there like it's got yara shahidi people. she would actually i'd love her to be on a cover one of our covers mm-hmm. i think she's amazing she's a real activist yeah it does, yeah i think he's like really changed the game because british vogue before him oh god it, it was, was like, so dull yeah mm-hmm. it was so boring alexandra was not doing anything she just mm-hmm. kept it so basic. There was no diversity. It was just like no one picked it up. It was it was flailing. It was really bad. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things where you've got to move with the times. 
Mm-hmm. I think his change came at the right time where people were starting to have, well, they already had those diversity conversations, but now they were trying to put things into action. Mm-hmm. And he's really taken the baton and ran with it in the sense that now people that are from our backgrounds can like pick up Vogue and be like, oh, I see someone that looks like me. Oh, I'm mm-hmm. really, I would really like to read it. Because back in the day, everyone was like, mm, it's just Vogue, you know. Yeah, be in your waiting room at the doctors or something like that but you'd never spend your money on it but now I see people are more interested yeah as a kid Mm -hmm. as a teenager yeah I never actually really read Vogue but I used to love Teen Vogue Mm. because I thought the articles were very interesting because they were obviously they were about like they were aimed at teenagers (laughs) but um (laughs) yeah I enjoyed the editorials I enjoyed the articles they covered a lot it was like it was diverse even mm. then, it was diverse. I think mm. that's what I liked about it. Where, whereas you, weird how you wouldn't see that in well, in like the original Vogue yeah. or like adult adult Vogues. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> What's the biggest misconception about press trips? People think it's a holiday, and it's really not. Everyone's like, "Oh, like where are you off to next? You're always on holiday." And it's like, yeah, it's a very very great office for a few days. Don't get me wrong. And I would not change it for the world, but it's not a holiday. If it was a holiday, I'd be with people I actually know. The way a press trip works is the PR for a particular company, whether it's a travel agency or like maybe it's a hotel or whatever it is, it could be a restaurant, it could be a spa. They will organize a trip with a few journalists, which can range from like, I don't know, two to 30 from either different countries, but they'll all be from different publications. Mm -hmm. And they will create an itinerary with their client. Most of the time, you've never met these people before. Mm -hmm. They're very interesting to be on. And I don't think it's for everyone. For someone who's like, like for me, I'm actually very much an introvert. So when I go on press trips, they can be very, very draining for me because you have to be on the ball at all times as well. You know, because you don't know these people, you have to remain professional at all times. Mm -hmm. Other people who are more more extrovert then they might enjoy the trips more and I do enjoy them and I get to meet some amazing people that um I keep in touch with but yeah just not a holiday (laughs) I think people are also forgetting it's a business relationship as well Mm -hmm. so people forget that nothing is for nothing in exchange for you going on this trip maybe for a weekend you're expected to produce a certain amount of copy or posts or exactly within a certain time frame as Mm -hmm. well so people forget often that it's not free essentially it's not free no (laughs) very much not free (laughs) and it's yeah you can't complain i can't complain and then there are trips that have been that have been organized like personal trips and sometimes like i just want to be in the moment and enjoy it because you are most likely only in this particular place once like these places are like pure luxury and you're really gonna be there just once in your lifetime you have to find a balance of being able to enjoy it and making sure you have everything you need to create a good travel piece. So you wear many hats as Steph. Um, you're not just the managing editor of the Arcadia, but also the founder of your own small business. Tell us about Luna Chi. What made you want to take the plunge and start your own business? At the time, everything I was doing, very much passion project. And I was earning money through nanny. Yeah. And I worked with this one particular family that I just hated. They were just <laughs> so awful. And it just really made me reconsider my life choices. <laughs> At the beginning of 2018, mm-hmm. um, this will be more understood 
understood by people who are slightly more spiritual. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you might think this is absolute nonsense. For those who don't know what Reiki is, Reiki is basically a universal healing energy. And um, people who are attuned to Reiki can tap Mm -hmm. into that energy. So... Mm -hmm. For example, take me as the vessel. I tune into this energy and it comes through my hands and I send it to wherever it needs to go. That's Mm -hmm. essentially how Reiki works. Um, So I did my level one back in 2018, the beginning of 2018. And after that, I kept getting signs that I'm a healer. I was like, Mm -hmm. I don't know what that even means. Don't understand. But I'm I'm very spiritual anyways. Mm -hmm. So I followed the signs and yeah, I decided I would uh, start doing it professionally. I started making candles because I wanted, <laughs> this is going to sound terrible, but mm. I wanted something that would be pretty for Instagram. Mm-hmm. That because would help Reiki, you yeah, to do Reiki. but Reiki is not tangible. Mm-hmm. You cannot see it. It's harder to kind of promote, whereas candles are, you know, much more visual and there's something you can hold and also it appeals to people who don't really want reiki but it's in a way still spreading it because all of my candles are um, infused with reiki as well so you're still going to benefit from like reiki energy with by lighting my candle even if you're like not interested in it (laughs) Um, and then like now looking back and it's like actually it's I just created another way for me to spread light quite literally (laughs) um yeah so that's kind of how it happened and then the candles kind of took off more than the Reiki and been pretty exciting it's been a wild ride so yeah it was just an idea that came to you after um deciding you were fed up with your current situation that when you were nannying and then you put two and two together Pretty much. That's the gist of it, yeah. <laughs> no, but that's what it it always is. Like a business is normally solving a problem or just an idea that comes to someone and they're like, oh, no one's doing this. And that's what kind of happens for you in two ways, really. Kind of. But if you look, there's like there's a lot of Reiki practitioners and there's also a lot of people who make crystal candles. Mm. But in that kind of wellness holistic market, it's a very, very, very good market to be in because it is booming because mental health has become such a huge topic um as of late especially with modern society everything affects your mental health mm-hmm. and so you really really have to look after yourself and reiki or any like any kind of healing just self love is so mm-hmm. important i think with everything that's going on I, I think people have realized that it's actually not normal to work 50 hour weeks have very little time for themselves and then you know kind of do that over again like using the weekends to recover so Mm -hmm. you can work another 50 hour week how is that normal Mm. that's not it's not okay yeah I definitely think just looking back to the last couple of years people have definitely been more conscious about their own mental health and well-being People are asking a lot more questions about how are you feeling, you know. Also, when it comes to the like small business community where people are coming up with ideas and they want to do so many things and there's so much pressure to have a side hustle and to do something for yourself because you might have a nine to five, but at the end of the day, that business is not yours. There's so much pressure nowadays because probably because of social media and like you're hearing about all of these people that are bloggers and they've been doing it. Well, it seems like they've been doing it for five minutes and they've got so many different perks and obviously there's a lot of graph that goes into it and people kind of misunderstand nowadays I think people are definitely 
having greater conversations with themselves and saying, you know what, it's okay that you're not doing anything at the moment because you're working on yourself and that's completely fine. So I'm definitely happy that things are moving in a positive direction. I completely agree. And it's and it's so true because even for me, I've really taken this time and like everyone else, I feel like I'm not doing enough. Mm. It's weird because I have this guilt mm. when it's like you have the time now you you know what's your excuse and it's like well (laughs) I am kind of just resting and that's so nice yeah so so important it's so nice to kind of be able to kind of rest guilt-free as well yeah but even with that still it's like you you should be doing more like you're not utilizing the hours in the day enough and it's so ridiculous isn't it it is really bad you just you put so much pressure on yourself yeah, we've got to stop doing that 100%. Mm. Well, I've been like doing more meditations recently and I, I do find that that's help because mm. you're you're giving yourself that time. That is a time just for you. Mm. And I think that's why it's really important to do. What's some advice you'd give to someone that maybe is starting their own magazine as well and or is an influencer, for example, and is looking to attract brands and partners? Um, you've got to make yourself stand out a little bit Mm. you have to be on top of content like it's really tough it's Mm -hmm. really tough to churn out content because you've got to plan it you've got to like do it and then you've got to and then you've got to post it it's just it's actually so much work but just start off by sharing like what you love as well like when it's a passion I think it really comes through and it will be that's where you'll get more engagement and engagement is what will lead to working with brands, mm-hmm. but also just to keep um, reaching out to brands. They might say no a hundred times, but if you keep doing what it is that you're doing, I think you'll find it's all trial and error as well. You, you'll find your like kind of niche and you have to keep trying. So lastly, where can the people find you? Uh, so Arcadia is uh, the Arcadia Online all one word um for luna chi it's luna l-u-n-a-r underscore underscore chi c-h-i and if you'd like to follow my one too it's uh miss m-i-s-s underscore s underscore pack which is b-a-k cool sounds good thank you so much for joining us thank you so much for having me building strong foundations is the key to maintaining successful business relationships whether that's with clients or family Let's hop on to Speak On It. As a reminder, our Speak On It segment is a quickfire round where guests have 30 seconds per word to give their views on buzzwords that resonate well with their worlds. Here's how it went with Steph. First word is imposter syndrome. I have it. It's perfectly normal. And it's so much to do with your self-confidence and self-belief and self-worth. And you just have to remind yourself that you are worthy. (laughs) only natural uh next word is fashion not for me now (laughs) Mm -hmm. um no uh, fashion is it's fun it's creative it's um inspiring success doing something you love every day I think that's success millennials we don't all love avocados even though I do (laughs) that's not the reason why we can't buy a house (laughs) yeah other issues um Reiki it's a beautiful healing energy um I recommend it you can always ask me for a Reiki session. <laughs> Female empowerment. I keep thinking Beyonce. <laughs> I think it's so important to have female empowerment and to try and empower other females. 
because patriarchy is such a real thing still to this day and age. Mm -hmm. Like we need people to remind us that we can do it and we are worthy. There you go. That is the end of your questions. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It's been great having you on. Thank you for having me. Like, no worries. Um, I'm really, really proud of you, by the way. I think you're so amazing for doing this. So oh, thank you. I feel so honoured that you asked me. It's such. Oh, privilege. my God. I just can't believe it sometimes when you're just like, oh, yeah, but, you know, I just did this little thing. You're like, no, you've done, like, yeah. <laughs> it's the imposter syndrome. <laughs> I know it is. It is. But, yeah, you're so funny. Steph completes episode six. A big thank you to Steph for sharing her truths and encouragement for us all to take time to look after ourselves. Please continue to let us know what you think by connecting with us on Instagram at Life's a Bags Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us for regular updates. Thanks for listening. This podcast was brought to you by The Collective London.